Would you please join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, we are so grateful for this time of year where we can take a step back and see all the gifts you have given us and the blessings that we have in this life, but not just the material blessings, but above all, for your love for us in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that our lives will reflect that gratitude and that you would reign in each and every one of us as king. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, as that great American pastor, theologian, Jonathan Edwards, and said there's two types of gratitude in the Christian life. There's natural gratitude, you know. Lord, I thank you for my TV, my car, my guitar, and all the things of, of life and blessing. And that's good. We should be grateful for the, those things. But Edwards also said there's gracious gratitude. Thankful for, to God for who he is. And so today, as God's people, is the one day of the year where we're not going to bring our intercessions before the Lord. We're just going to give him thanks. And there will be both natural gratitude and gracious gratitude throughout our litany of thanksgiving. Uh, I had a parishioner remind me, though, uh, let, us, let us make sure throughout this week we're praying for the city of Buffalo. You know, um, imagine what they're going through right now. Uh, it's, it's quite... Uh, state of emergency, so just want to make sure we keep our brothers and sisters especially there uh, in prayer. Because such times gives us great anxiety. You know, I grew up in a home where there was no whining, you know, it just it wasn't accepted. And so I grew up in that culture, you know, if somebody would complain, I would say, wah. Get over it, you know? It's just, you know, just we don't, make it work. But all of us who are a little older need to have a lot more compassion towards those who are younger. Because we live in a culture today where our young people are filled with great anxiety, and it's not their fault. They live in a culture where people can get bullied over social media, and there's nothing you can do about it. They can't, we can't understand the world they live in. They can't understand the world we grew up in. So the church needs to be the one safe place, right? As we love one another and care for one another, especially as an intergenerational congregation as we are, seeking to understand one another as God's people. Because how can you be a thankful person if you're always anxious? It's hard. You can't. And so... In the wisdom of our lectionary, this gospel reading is given to us because anxiety is crippling whole sections of our culture. Last week on Stewardship Sunday, we read chapter 6, 19 to 44, and basically Jesus is warning us about being materialistic. And so in today's passage that you heard me read, and I tied them together, Jesus turns to materialism's twin, anxiety. And three times in this passage, you heard him say, don't be anxious. And I know some of you, especially our young people, probably were thinking to themselves, how does anybody have the audacity?
audacity to command us not to be anxious. It's not like I choose this. Oh, I think I'll get up and be anxious today. Thank you very much. No, it's not a voluntary thing. But I want everyone to know, Jesus did not say to these people, suck it up. That's what my dad told me, you know. Just suck it up, Gene, you know. No whining in this house. You know, okay, here we go. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here, all right? If you, instead, if you look care, carefully, you'll see he gets to the source of our anxiety, and he explains to us the why of our anxiety, and he reasons with us gracefully to show us that if we listen to him, let him do his work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can get anxiety out of us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're beginning with verse 25. Because what we're going to learn here is what is anxiety, where it comes from, and what do we do about it. You know, so first, what is it? Um, you know, I think it's easier to describe than it is to define. It plays into our lives. Psychologically, um, spiritually, physically. Psychologically, I, anxiety can be focused on a specific danger. And it can be absolutely debilitating general condition that is not really focused on any particular cause. It, it's, it's like having that constant Jaws theme playing in your head. Duh. Duh. Dum, 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 right? Right? It can work on you. But more than that, anxiety has a physical aspect. It's called stress. And if we don't deal with it, we can burn out. We know that our bodies have an automatic fight-or-flight syndrome, right? We pump adrenaline, pumps into our bodies, but if you find yourself constantly living under that stress day by day by day, it's going to have an effect on you. You're constantly living with perceived danger, financial dangers, professional dangers, relationship dangers. Your body is not supposed to live like that. The system is not supposed to be going off every day with high-octane adrenaline. And eventually, you literally burn out. Ulcers, hypertension, high blood pressure. But there's also a philosophical effect, a spiritual effect to this. I really appreciated my philosophy professor in college. And she spoke about Martin Heidegger, the German existentialist philosopher. And I love the word about anxiety that Heidegger talked about and philosophized about. He expressed that in the human condition, there's times in our lives that we feel thrown into the world and we have no control. The German word is, get this, geworfenheit. <laughs> Isn't that great? You know? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Geworfenheit. A thrownness, a feeling of being thrown into the world and there's no rhyme, no reason. It doesn't make sense. The world's out of control. 
when three college students get stabbed at 3 a.m. in the morning in their, their rental house, something's wrong with the world. You begin to feel that geworfenheit, the thrownness, anxiety, and it affects every part of us, body, soul, spirit. Jesus says at the end of the passage, do not worry about tomorrow, right? Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Anxiety is a concern about the potential, not the actual. Anxiety is a concern about that which we can't control, The essence of anxiety is the desire to control that which we can't control. We feel the need for control in an area where there's no possibility of control. That causes anxiety. So that's what it is. Where does it come from? Number two. The Bible, as usual, gives us far, far and away a more coherent answer than the world can give us. Jesus Christ, if you look carefully, you'll see in a very general way, he's saying the source of anxiety is the human will to control. The fact is that we want the control that God has, and anxiety comes right from that. He says, for example, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You see, we want to add. We want what God has. Jesus is saying, isn't life more than food and drink? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What he's saying is, listen, who's been keeping your life up until now anyway? What are you worried about right now? He says, when the doctor comes in with bad news, when the boss comes in with bad news, when suddenly we get anxious because why? We feel like we're out of control. But it's the threat that reveals the illusion that we've been living in all these years that we are in control, and we are not. The illusion is we felt up to now that we were but getting anxious because we feel like we're getting out of control, and that's simply not true. The threat is revealing our true condition. We've always been out of control. We've always been vulnerable. We've never been keeping our lives going. See, danger triggers anxiety. The anxiety is essentially showing up in a new condition, but at a deeper level. The Gavorfenheit. Jesus says that we're anxious because we disbelieve or we dislike the fact that we're totally dependent upon God. We don't like it and we're afraid of it. And that's what anxiety is. And biblically speaking, though, there's a wonderful truth underneath all of this. The Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal had a very interesting statement. And he said, basically, the great thing about Christianity is when he tells you something's wrong with you, he always tells you how we can get out of it and points us in the right direction. Pascal says, The greatness of man is so evident that it is even proved by his wretchedness. For who is unhappy at not being a king except a deposed king? 
The Bible says the reason we're anxious is because we, we want to be in control. And the reason we want to be in control, because originally we were kings and queens. We were built to be stewards. The steward in the ancient household was the chief servant. All the other servants worked under him. The steward served the master. That's the kind of steward we're called to be. The kings and the queens we're called to be. And the Bible tells us, though, in the book of Genesis, that we didn't like that stewardship. We wanted that one notch higher to be God. We wanted to be in charge of everything. We wanted to be our own masters. And trying to become more and more than human, we became less human. Trying to become more than ourselves, we became less than ourselves. So today, how do we respond to this need for control, which comes from the fact that we were built for kings, the fact that we were built for glory? Well, we do the same thing Adam and Eve did. I'll take it from here, Lord. Thank you very much. I got it. We run our lives our own way in total control, and the more we try to get control and be our own masters, the less control we feel. And anxiety comes from that will to control our lives. We all need to hear, let us cease to rule the world. That's what Martin Luther told Philip Melanchthon. They were under threats constantly. And Melanchthon was kind of a worry wart. And so he was worrying about this and that and this and that. And, and Luther went up to him and didn't say, oh, Philip, suck it up. He said, let Philip cease to rule the world. You know why you're anxious, Philip? You want to be in charge. Let Philip cease to rule the world. We assert ourselves to control, and anxiety comes when we do. Let us cease to rule the world. So that's what it is, and that's where it comes from. So what do we do about it? Well, the passage does tell us. He tells us two things about how we can make sure we're not anxious people. Number one, we think. And number two, we reprioritize. First, think. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Or and say, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Here Jesus changes the argument to a very personal vein for his hearers. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying we don't need to be anxious because we're the king's children. He'll provide all we need. And he tells us that if we're anxious about these things, just like the rest of the world is, we're going to be a miserable lot. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, they're, they're, they're focused on these things because they're, oh, they overestimate their own significance and their own reign and rule. The characteristic tendency of those without Christ is to be bound by the horizons of the earth. The characteristics of the world is that everything is crammed into the visible. And this, in turn, promotes anxiety about secondary matters. 
They're not unimportant, but they're secondary. Unbelievers' anxiety also rests on a misunderstanding of God's character. They naturally think of God as far removed from the complexities of life and ignorant of their struggles. And what distinguishes our thinking as Christians from that of unbelievers is that we know, verse 32b, our Heavenly Father knows what we need, that we need all these things. God is our Father, and He wants us to trust in Him. So how then, as God's children, ought we to live? By prioritizing. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking His kingdom and His righteousness primarily means trying to spread the reign of Christ in every area of our lives. It's Christ the King Sunday. He's king whether you recognize it or not. Therefore, let him be king of our lives. It involves a profound poverty of spirit. Seeking his righteousness involves making his righteousness attractive in every area of my life, physically, familially, materially, as the Lord tells us, the one who does this is approved. Earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 6 of chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's us. And so verse 33 of Matthew 6 marvelously encompasses all of our lives. And therefore, it's a, it tells a story to our culture that's compelling. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, verse 34. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, tomorrow there will be trouble. Please understand, we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. It's unavoidable that there will be trouble. No Christian should ever be caught in the, the then syndrome then things will be trouble-free. I'll get married to her, and it's smooth sailing from there on, baby. <laughs> no. When I have children, when I get a promotion, when I get into the right school, it's futile to try to live a problem-free life. And you can spend all your time and energy fortifying the castle of your life, but there will always be a portion of your life's castle that is unguarded. Tomorrow will have its challenges and trials, no matter how hard you work to prevent them. And yet we are called by the king of the universe, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry will not destroy tomorrow's trials. It'll sabotage our strength for today. The great Anglican priest and poet George MacDonald in the 17th century put it this way, no man ever sank under the burden of today. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than man can bear. Worrying does not enable us to escape evil. 
It makes us unfit to cope with it. And the truth is, we always have the strength to bear when the trouble, when it does come. But we do not have the strength to bear worrying about it today. If you add today's troubles to tomorrow's troubles, it will be a miserable life. The anxious heart receives all kinds of blows through future anxiety that will actually never happen to. Some of us have suffered much more in this world than has ever really happened to us. We fear everything because everything is possible. And such a heart possesses nothing, though it may have everything in Christ. It, oh, its only real possessions are its fears. So Jesus' counsel to us is so beautiful. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Brothers and sisters, God is in control. That's our reality. Anxiety is futile. Do not borrow trouble from somewhere. It'll come to you. All right? Today, we're here. We're safe. Our stomachs are full. You can get a donut after the service if you're hungry, you know. We're cared for. And the only way we can possibly do this is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He'll take care of the rest. Seek first is a present imperative, which means we are to be in continual quest for God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And when you and I do this, our focus is no longer on the stuff of the world. And we're thus liberated from the blight of anxiety. If we constantly seek him, there will be no room for the lesser matters. If we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, the cares of our day will flee. So in summary, I don't care whether you're Eight years old or 108? Raised, not, almost there, but not yet, all right? All of us, all of us are included in this, all right? Reject our culture's mindset. You are more than a blob of cells. Along with this, refuse to focus on the cares of our world. Consider the birds and the flowers. If God cares for the lesser, what will he do for the greater? That's us. Plan for the future, but don't live in the future. Live now. Put your arms, gentlemen, around your wife today. Take a walk with your children and your grandchildren today. Bundle up. It'll be good for you. Suck it up. <laughs> Enjoy the life God's given you. It's a gift to live in his kingdom. And let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of it. Jesus sought first his father's kingdom and his righteousness, and he lived in such a way that we never could, and that we weren't capable of doing so, and, and so he died in our place in order to secure for us authentic purpose, freedom, 
assurance. You are so loved, and that's our king. Do you understand the authority? The Lord has that situation. So keep that in mind. Think about that, and let us seek first to live in his kingdom. Charles Schultz, in closing, did many Christian Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoons. He kind of did them on the side. They never showed up in your paper. But he did some. They were, they were really cool. There's one cartoon that has he wrote where when Peppermint Patty was on one side of a tree and Charlie Brown was on the other side of the tree. And, and, and she's letting the concerns of the world get to her. And she says, Chuck, aren't you worried about the state of the world? He says, no, nah, Patty, I'm not worried. I have a friend who told me not to worry about this. Who's that, Chuck? Charlie Brown says, well, it's Jesus. He told me that he's always with me and will never leave me, and that's very assuring. Well, when did he tell you that, Chuck? When I was reading his word in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Thanks, Chuck. That makes me feel so much better. He responds, cast all your cares on him, Patty. For he cares for you. It's good words for all of us. Let us be grateful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, which is so practical for each and every one of us. We all have dealt with this issue. But we know that as we seek first your kingdom and your ways, fill us, Holy Spirit. And we don't have to worry about being the witnesses because we'll just be contagious people. The difference you'll make in our lives will be so noticeable because we're not freaking out about the height. We understand that you are sovereign over it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to seek first your kingdom. And that when we lean to focus on that which we can't control, that we would look to the one who's in control and not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. And let us seek first your kingdom, Lord Jesus, and you'll take care of the rest. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.